Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy for Me and it's very much a Covid edition um, mainly because obviously uh, Monday was Freedom Day um, the, the much vaunted, much expected, much trumpeted Freedom Day um, and I've just got a few reflections on I guess where we are with it um, and also some of the contradictions that seem to have been baked into the system at the moment. But before we get there, let's have a little bit of that uh, that jangly guitar. Monday. So today is Freedom Day. Um, today is the day... Um, where theoretically, virtually all of the uh, the COVID restrictions that have been placed now for oh grief, it's got to be fourteen, fifteen months, um, are are effectively um, taken away. Uh, the big one, obviously, being social distancing, the requirement for social distancing and face masks, but also the fact that venues uh, such as nightclubs and all those kind of venues are, are are open and able to operate in the way they would normally operate. Now, obviously, um, there's been a lot of um, a, a lot of talk about whether this is the wise thing to do. And I've obviously banged on about it quite a bit in previous podcasts simply because we have raising uh, case rates and we have raising uh, mortality rates. Um, and whilst the, the link between the case rates and the mortality rate has, has, has absolutely been weakened, I, I don't necessarily agree it's been severed, but uh, I, it's absolutely been it been weakened, it still somehow seems counterintuitive to be um, effectively opening up at a point when um, more interaction, um, you know, we will forget the, the restrictions that have been in place for such a long time quite quickly and obviously we then expect to see that feed through in terms of the, the numbers. Um, and since making the announcement a couple of weeks ago that it definitely would be the 19th, uh, there's been a lot of uh, uncomfortable shifting in seats and, and kind of semi-rolling back um, from many of the, the cabinet, including the Prime Minister. And the big thing that's gone out before um, today has all been about caution, has all been about, yes, we've got these freedoms back, but we need to be cautious and vigilant. And of course, at the same time, you go, well, what's the point in doing that? If we need to be cautious and vigilant, then we shouldn't be taking the, the, the measures away. Um, and certainly, we've, you know, as I've said in previous weeks, I think we've missed an, an excellent opportunity to have a proper conversation about maybe behavior changes moving forward maybe you know social distancing and mask wearing permanently in in on public transport and in and in you know in, in crowded retail stores uh, and crowded environments um i think the the problem uh, and i was thinking about this while i was walking uh, today the problem is that um they keep saying if not now when but in reality that's not that that statement it is, we've probably been taking it at the wrong value. That statement isn't about if not now, when, um, because it's the summer, we'll be outdoors more, uh, less chance of infection outdoors, um, and there's more chance that we'll need further restrictions in place during the flu season. I think it's more to do with the fact that if you've spent the last three months beating away every piece of, of possible um flack that's come your way and criticism that's come your way um, with 
look at the vaccine rollout, look at the vaccine rollout, look at the vaccine rollout, including the making the, the vaccine rollout a Brexit issue, which I, I still don't quite can't get my head around. But um, you've weaponized the vaccine rollout to a certain extent, and it's been it's been the key thing, and it's been the key thing. It was a key thing. It was mentioned however many times in PMQs last week. If if you're not going to then use that and you're not going to open, the argument comes back, well, why are you trumpeting the, the, the vaccine rollout all the time? Um, because surely the vaccine rollout is about is about freedom. So if you don't spend that political capital now, you're never going to get the chance to spend it um, you're never going to get the chance to spend it again, um, and I think that's that's the reason why we find ourselves with sticking to this particular um, particular date. Because otherwise, the you know very quickly the argument will come back. Well, what was the, what was the vaccine rollout about then? If we can't if we can't spend it, what was you know what was the point of it? <laughs> I talked a couple of weeks ago about um, what we now what we're now calling the pandemic, um, about the situation where an increasing case rates would would clearly mean uh, an increasing number of people who are going to have to self isolate. Uh, and as we opened up and and we re- you know we we got, we got the restrictions, and as case rates were rising, then consequently um, self isolation would would rise as well. And it seems to be that the uh, test and trace app is um, is relatively sensitive in that respect. I don't know what the parameters are in there, um, but this, it's clearly relatively sensitive that if you've been in a, in an environment at some point through a day and somebody else has who tests positive, there's a very good chance that it will it will link the two of you together and you know we've certainly had examples of of friends and people we know who've been pinged uh, and they don't really know why they don't really know what was the instance you can't quantify or contextualize how important it is and how concerned I guess you should be because you don't really know how it's all how it's all come together and that was something that you know, I talked about a couple of weeks ago as being, you know, something that that I thought, well, this is this is going to happen. We're going to end up with, um, you know, a hundred thousand, half a million, a million people a day potentially getting pinged on the assumption that maybe between five or ten people would, you know, you would interact between five and ten people without realizing or before you realize realized you were uh, contagious. Um, that. There was a there was a moment today. I I um for for kind of this this job I do with the Music Industry Association. We're members of the uh, the the BRC, the British Retail Consortium, and I join a call um or I join a number of calls with the BRC through the week. And what was striking today was some very senior people from from very uh, well known high street food companies um were saying that by the end of the week. Um, we would be seeing empty shelves because pandemic was a real thing as far as they were concerned and how it was affecting um, the ability to to deliver and get product out on shelves. Now, we know for smaller firms, it's affecting them in terms of the fact that they potentially can't open. You know, you have a, you know, a one person testing positive um, in a retail store can shut a retail store down if you've only got half a dozen members of staff and you're all together on a particular day. But the the big one seems to be um, in, for the general public, 
rather than for the livelihood of the individual retailer. The big one seems to be um, this whole thing of they just aren't the drivers, they just aren't the people to pick the food. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about pick the food in the, in in you know as in go out and pick it from the fields or what have you. I'm talking about it's already physically in in a you know in a in a in a in a supermarket um, distribution center, but there's no way of actually collating together what an individual store needs and getting out to them. And I think there's already been data come out of um, Tesco. I think made a statement to say that they're already they're they're throwing food away because they're not being able to turn around and and shift fresh food out to stores before it meets its sell-by date. So they're getting it in in normal amounts of time into the distribution centres, but they're not actually capable of, of going through their normal processes because they're so light on they're so light on staff. Um, and it just it really came home when the, the you know when the people on this call were genuinely concerned. Uh, genuinely concerned that this would be a thing. And I don't think that people realise quite how serious quite how serious it would uh, it would be so it was a it was a little bit of a precipice moment uh, today when when I was on that on that call and as much as it was something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I didn't I you know it was one of those things where you thought it through and thought well I could see how this could happen well it turns out that not only you know is there a pathway to see how it can happen but actually it is happening <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to get an inquiry into COVID. Um, I'm getting concerned that, well, okay, will we get an inquiry into COVID? Yes, I think we will. Will we get it in a time when it's actually useful or relevant? Uh, no, we won't. Will we get it at a point in time when politically it's the most easiest to sw- is the easiest to swat away? Yes, we will. I was listening to the Dominic Cummings um, interview with Laura Coonsberg, um, though I'd really like to hear the entire interview because I think it was about four and a half, five hours long and it's been cut down to sort of an hour and 20 minutes and, 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 and the edit seemed to have been fairly extreme and seemed to have missed a lot of points that were being made. And for, for, for kind of a political nerd like myself, uh, I'd, I would like to hear the, the whole lot if I'm being honest. But let's leave that aside for one for one second. He talked a lot. He was asked repeatedly if he had proof for things, um, and he often he said in many of those cases there were other people in the room. I wasn't the only people in the room. There were other people who know. There were other people who heard. There were other people who saw. And this will all come out. It will all come out at the inquiry. Um, and that the bit is that's the bit that's now concerning me because if if the things that he is saying and has said um, are as um, you know, as as stark as he's portrayed them, then um, then then the inquiry is is going to be bloody. There's 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 no way around it. Now you could argue that the inquiry needs to be bloody anyway, um, but if it's anything like what he says, then the inquiry is going to be bloody. And I think the point. It was interesting. She asked she asked him. Uh, is this just about revenge? And he started off by saying, "Well, no, it's not." And then he said, "But then, what does it matter if it is?" What does it actually matter if it is? If those things happened and I disagreed with them, what does it matter if this is about settling the score? And to a certain extent, um, if there are enough people who um, are aware of things that went on and these things actually went on, then he's, he's actually got a point. It doesn't matter whether it's personal or not. Um, but I, 
I'm I'm worried. I'm now I'm now worried that you know it's it's been it's it's been mooted for for the early part of next year. There's no reason why it can't happen now, but it's been mooted for the early part of next year. Um, but we had situations today where a number of key figures were were asked whether the inquiry would be under oath, and nobody is willing to confirm what this inquiry will be. Well, if it's not going to be under oath, then I I question whether there's any point. So back to the original statement I made, which now probably isn't what I mean. Will there be an inquiry? Yes. Will it be Will it be next year? It might possibly be. Is it, if it's not under oath, what's the point? Well, actually, that's, a, that's very good. What's the point? Having watched Pretty Patel, um, you know, essentially disagree with Yvette Cooper on a select uh, committee hearing and just say whatever she wanted to say. And clearly it was nonsense. Clearly it made no sense. But she just said it anyway. And we're in a situation now where, you know, and it's very, it's very Trumpian. But we're in a situation where you just say no and breeze through it and just keep your head down and, and just go, well, th- that's it. I'm disagreeing with you. You know what? what? These 10 people have said this happened and it was terrible and I'm just disagreeing and you're just going to have to take my word for it. And I'm not. I'm not budging. I'm staying here, and I'm not taking accountability for my for my actions or my part in something. And that's the bit that then starts to concern me. So maybe it's so brazen now that there will be an inquiry. It's just it will have no teeth. I don't know. But the point is, if you take the evidence in the interview from from Dominic Cummings, then he's thinking that that is the day of reckoning. And I'm I'm getting more and more concerned that that day of reckoning is not necessarily going to come. Thursday. Now you can argue whether three percent as a pay rise for nurses is good. Um, I suppose it's good in the context of the fact that up until this point we thought they were getting one percent. So a threefold increase, I guess, at this point in time, looks like progress. The fact that it's in line with roughly the rate of inflation means that I guess all it's really doing is 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 keeping those those you know key workers um, standing still effectively, and they've had a hell. Listen, we've all had a hell of an eighteen months, but they've had a hell of an eighteen months. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's clever politics. I don't know if that's if that's just worked out quite nicely. One thing I do know. Well, I know it's going to cause friction between number 10 and number 11, but one thing I do know is that the way it was announced is part of something that that you could say was a worrying trend, and I think it's a lot further on than that. Um, it was announced by a video. Um, it was a briefing and a video um, clip that announced the news. Um, didn't go through Parliament. Um, it certainly wasn't announced in the in the chamber, and what that where that leaves us is that leaves us in the situation we are we are now, where this this government. Um, I mean, look, it, you, you can't say it's not a populist government because populist government do what is happening now, but they talk they're talking over part. They have no respect for they 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 don't see Parliament as being relevant. The eighty seat majority means that they they don't have to worry about it, but they're they're treating their backbenchers with 
uh, disdain and contempt because they're just talking over Parliament to the people. And you could say, well, okay, that's a great thing. Yeah, that's brilliant. Let, let's have let's have our elected leaders talking directly to us. Well, that's interesting, except that we don't. I suppose we elect a prime minister, and we elect a party, but we don't elect a cabinet. That's that's a prime ministerial whim. So uh, we haven't actually elected that group of people, but that group of people are now talking directly to us, and they have no they have no real thought that that actually parliamentary protocol is of any relevance to them. Um, but it's it's the same worrying trend that brought about the decision for the press briefings from number 10. It's it's just, we, we've got a message. We've got a very, very particular message. We're permanently in campaigning mode. We've got a very, very particular message. And we just want to pump that line all the time. That's all we're going to do. Now, I'm, I know what you're thinking and I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, why is that any different to what Labour did in the past? And it isn't. It's, I'm not saying it is. But the way it's being done at the moment is blatant. Labour followed parliamentary protocol. They had a line, they had a message, and let's face it, if you want to go back far enough, it was Thatcher invented it. But they had a they, the, the messaging was slick, and everybody's had a line, and they coalesce everybody around a line, and that is absolutely fine. Except up until now, it's not so blatantly bypassed the infrastructure, bypassed the house, and gone straight into um, effectively the, the people's homes uh, via the media. Um, and it's something we should be concerned about. You know, you 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 can go and talk, you could have a point of view on this and think this is a great thing or a terrible thing, and you could go and speak to your MP. But your MP found out at the same time or after you did, depending on what they were doing at the point in time when the announcement was made. And that could be a Conservative MP, and they could have found out after you did what was going on. So when you have a problem and you want that MP to do something for you, how 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 wired in are they? And I don't know if they're wired in at all. Friday. There's a couple of things I want to tie the week up with that I didn't put into different episodes and uh, or different days and should have done. Uh, the first is that I the the hilarity of the 57 minute U-turn. Uh, which I think is the fastest U-turn we've had so far, where um, Boris and Gove and Sunak thought they could get away with this pilot scheme that would mean they wouldn't have to self-isolate, even though they'd been in direct contact with the health secretary, who is obviously a test of positive COVID. Um, and we get we get a you know we get such an instant backlash um, that in fact I don't know if it was an instant backlash or whether well it might well have been behind the scenes, but Richie Sunak very quickly tweeted to say he would be following the rules, and of course once he'd done it, everybody else um, you know everybody else had to do the same thing. Now whether Sunak was doing that. For for political goodwill, quite possibly. It doesn't matter, though. It's a political game. And the fact of the matter is, we were heading to a one rule for them and one rule for us. It got averted. It was the, it was the fastest turnaround. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting start to the week, anyway. Um, the other thing... The, the, the whole thing about vaccines, the whole thing about spending... The, the vaccine political capital you had to open up now, that's taken on greater resonance as the week has gone on. Uh, and the reason why it's taken on greater resonance as the week has gone on is is that actually 
data is now starting to appear to say that we are not as far ahead of Europe as as we were in the early stages. Um, now, of course, we knew that Europe would catch up, except we've not finished yet. If we'd finished, Europe would have been catching up because, and we were done, so it didn't matter. We always would have finished so far ahead of them, but we're not done yet. We're actually struggling to persuade young people to get vaccines in the number that, that um, we need them to do in that 18 to 30 category. So we're nowhere near done yet. Plus, obviously, we've still got to wait as well because there's now a lag because as you get to the end with an eight-week gap in between, you've still got to wait for people to uh, to go through that period of time. So we're going to slow down, obviously, at this point. Um, plus, we've still got to keep keep getting people to agree to have the vaccine. Germany has administered more vaccines than we have. In, in number, they just haven't done the same proportion of the population because they've got a bigger population. Other countries are catching up in terms of proportion of the population they've vaccinated, though they may have a smaller overall number. So they might not have administered as many, but they've still proportionally got so far in. And theoretically, you know, if you've done the greatest share of your population with the amount of resource you have, then you're further on track. So we're now, we are now at the point where they, they've pretty much caught up but here's the crucial thing about that. They've caught up with less cases and less deaths. So when you draw a line under everything, if you draw a line under everything today or tomorrow or next week, what you'll find is vaccination today may be the same for the UK and Germany, the UK and France, the UK and Italy, the UK and the Netherlands. But then if you reflect on the collateral damage at that point in time, then those numbers are very, very stark. And this is the reason why I'm back to being concerned about what the inquiry is going to... Because the inquiry should should look at that. If we're not going to look at this, if this is not the... It's a little bit like the situation in the US with the um, with the riots on the Capitol building on the 6th of January. If that's not an impeachable offence, then the argument is, what is? And if this is not the reason for have a public inquiry, then I turn to you and say, well, then what is? What is the situation more warranting, more deserving of an absolutely transparent, you know, judge-led, under oath, public inquiry as the situation we've been through in the past 18 months? And it's not just... I mean, yes, we need to hold to account if things have been done badly, particularly if things have been done badly for political gain. But at the same time, we also need to work out what the hell we're going to do next time because it is going to happen again. It's a red week. For those of you who remember my different weeks on my recording software, and it's and it's probably the first red week that I've done this for a long while, but I just, I don't know, everything's crystallised this week with regard to COVID. And there's just so many things that I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to talk about. Uh, and I could have talked about the whole thing about you know, why we're still self-isolating. What's, you know, because I can go, I actually can argue both sides of that. I can argue why the hell are we self-isolating if, if, if we're opening up the economy? Surely if you're opening everything up at that point, you almost say, well, there's no point self-isolating because in reality, if you're opening everything up in a situation like we are now, we're assuming that we, we're we going to let it flush through the country with all the consequences that brings. In which case, why, why are you then making people isolate? Uh, why are you ruining? Why are you? Why are you saying in one breath you're free to do what you want, but then effectively curtailing a summer period? Um, you know, with the vaccination rates as the way they are, do we? Do, you know, do you risk it at that point? I can argue both sides of that, but it's just been that kind of week this week. Um, I'm going to finish on something 
that is 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 the end of a journey. Um, it, it was Dan's funeral um, today, and um, and it was a, a really uh, it was a life affirming and at the same time um, difficult place to be. Um, but it was the only place I wanted. I wanted to be. Um, as I was driving over there, I was thinking about the fact that we were both big fans of McFly, and I've talked about McFly um, in the past in, in in the notes, and we were both very big fans of the Radioactive album, and um, we both thought they were very underrated musicians, thought they were they were really 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 great, really what a, a superb a real superb band, you know, just just a talented bunch of guys. But there's the the I put this I put this um, this album on. And as I drove into the crematorium, um, um, it, the album finished. It naturally finished at the literally as I parked up, the the, the last chord of the of, of the last song ended, and um, and the last song is actually called the last song, and it's an incredible, just an incredible overblown. Uh, piece of music it's it's queen-esque in its kind of you know the performative nature of it and it's got time changes all over the place and it's just big and pompous it's you know got little bits of bohemian rhapsody about it and it's an incredible song but it's an incredible song in terms of what it's saying and uh and we were both huge fans of this song because it was just such a you know uh, a, a kind of preposterous piece of music almost and it just came to an end as I drove through Bury towards the, 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 the crematorium. That was the song I was listening to. And it came to an end just as uh, as I parked up. And 10 minutes later, um, Dan arrived. And Dan was laid to rest in a coffin that can only be described as, as looking like a disco ball. Um, it was silver. It was sparkly. It was glittery. It was everything that was Dan. Uh, and as 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 he drove by, you you just you just had to smile, and that's the Dan shape hole that you know that that that, that we've now got. Um, but that his ability even at that moment to just to just make me smile is is truly special. Um, have a have a great weekend, everybody. Um, in, enjoy the weekend. Stay stay very safe. Apologies for ranting quite so much. Um. Uh, this week i'll try and get back to different topics for next week um but stay safe and i will speak to you all soon if you've enjoyed therapy for me then please subscribe and share as you see fit this has been an a short stories production